Hey, we've got uh, quarantine cam live stream number two here from Barcelona. We're day six of quarantine here in Spain. I've been out to the street once to put the garbage into the garbage bin. Uh, and I have to say, I savored the couple of minutes outside underneath the sky, no walls around me. So wherever you are in the world, uh, if quarantine is with you or you're still allowed out, number one, let's do all that we can to not let coronavirus spread any faster and any further than it needs to. And that's washing our hands, uh, not shaking hands, I guess, elbow bumps, shoulder bumps, physical distance. And I think if ever as human beings, we needed a common enemy to bring us together as humanity to show that the only way we get through this is all together with every single person volunteering to make the sacrifices on their own personal freedom, on their own freedom to shake hands, to go out in public, uh, in order that we as humanity give the doctors and the researchers time to find the vaccine, find the treatment protocols, to keep the beds free in hospitals so that we can just spread out so that as people get infected, there is a capacity in the hospitals. So. My aim is not to spend too much time talking about coronavirus, but to chat here with you. And although we're in a time of physical distance, I don't want to be this a time of social distance. I don't want to be this a time when we stop doing the things that make life worth living. Uh, it also needs to be, I think, a time where you take your notebook and you write down what it's like to be in quarantine. What do you miss? What will you savor when you can get back and we begin to release some of the quarantine measures that, that keep us here in our house? And I can see here on the chat, we've got uh, quite a few people coming on the chat. Sebastian Laura, what's up? Florian Corona is bringing us together unity. Bristol, Yemen, Pamplona, Germany, Northeast England, which part of North? Ah, Harry Marsland from Newcastle. Great to see you, my lad. Uh, Belgium. So here we are. And what I'd love, Michael Thompson from Vic. I'd love each of you just to put one word in the chat. If you were to put a word that captures your state of mind right now, how you're feeling, what's the word? If you had to do one word that captured how you're feeling right now, stick that in the chat. Mario from South Florida, Warren from Johannesburg in sunny South Africa. Warren, great to have you on here. Adrian, Mustafa, Iraq, welcome Iraq. I hope you're doing well there in Iraq. London, UK, Steve McNulty. Steve McNulty left behind the island of Hawaii to join us from London. Mustafa from Muscat, Jordan. So. I wanted to take a time, oh, here we're getting some words coming in, Harshad, lazy, uh, Elena, Manterola, deep, Gregory, tired, <laughs> Adrian, worry, the curious journey, grateful, so some good words, and I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on over these six days as I've been inside the four walls of my home, uh, Saturday last week, I was uh, going through the stages of despair. Uh, my business is about meeting people, looking them in the eyes, sitting down with CEOs, listening to their lives, their challenges, where they are today, seeing what's around them, seeing how they interact, asking them about the future. And Saturday, Sunday last week, I was thinking, how can we continue if we can't see people face to face? what's gonna to happen to me, to my business. And I have to admit, I was very selfish about the impact on me in the first days of this. But then Monday, Tuesday, we started to have our first Vistage group meetings where groups of leaders of business would come together. We've been using Zoom. And this week, there's been 
many, many hours of Zoom meetings, groups of 10, 12, 16, 25 CEOs, leaders of business, connecting together and just sharing what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what is happening in their businesses, what it's feeling like from their perspective to go through this, what they're scared of, what's holding them back. And I think there's a couple of things that uh, I was struck as we share our messages is how many people are feeling like they're going through this alone? How many leaders of businesses that are feeling like they're going through this alone? So if there's only one thing that you take from this uh, today, it's pick up the phone. Although we're in physical isolation uh, over the course of this week, the thing that has most given me back the energy, the hope, the positivity, is just continually connecting to Zoom, connecting to people, connecting to Vistage members, connecting to EO members, connecting to friends, and just listening to how they're doing, asking them how they're doing. So sharing your word here helps us see how is this uh, affecting humanity as we are. Hey, Jamie, that's a beautiful word, belief. and. Uh, Warren Rustan, I'm gonna share a link with all of you. There was one of my mentors, uh, Warren Rustan, shared a 20 minute video on YouTube yesterday. And Warren Rustan has been one of my mentors for five, six years since I first saw him speak in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And Warren Rustan talks about when challenges are there, it's when the leaders have an opportunity to make a choice to step up and leadership is always a choice difficult times you can always excuse inaction by saying it was too difficult but every leader has a choice and I'm gonna share with you that link to Warren Rustan's 20-minute video just a call to arms to entrepreneurs to leaders to, to everyone to first get yourself together and get yourself together in times like this. Hey, Florian, productive, I like that. And Florian, just to show you how productive we are being here, here is uh, some of the homework myself and my kids have been doing to help get Florian and my thinking and creativity in action. Uh, Harry Marslin, love that phrase. Be useful, not just noisy. And I hope that's a general expression rather than a comment on what I'm doing right here now. Uh, so Warren Rustan, let me take a moment and write that down well so that everyone can get it. Warren, so I'm gonna take a moment and write into the chat. Warren Rustan. And Jamie, if you have the link to Warren Rustan's YouTube video, Jamie, if you have that, I wonder if you could share it either with me or with all of the chat because that 20 minutes from Warren Rustan about how to take care of ourselves, how to get clear, how to uh, really put ourselves in order and then look at where we're going. One of the things that I've seen at the moment is, is first it's so easy to let my own health and mental health go. Uh, Warren Rustan for many years with all of the members of EO, he gets us to start the morning, the first thing to do each day is what we call 10, 10, 10. That when you wake up in the morning, you sit on the edge of your bed and the first 30 minutes of your day, 10 minutes reading something that inspires you. Reading something, not the news, not anything that's been published in the last week. Reading something that reminds you of the best version of yourself, of who you want to be as a human being. 10 minutes feeding your mind positive, uh, vision inspiring ideas. After 10 minutes of reading something that fills you with inspiration, reminds you what's important, 10 minutes of gratitude, just sitting silently and thinking about the things that you are grateful for, the people that are a part of your life, the, the abilities that you have, the projects that you have an opportunity to take the time to do. And after 10 minutes of reading, 10 minutes of gratitude, you then take your pen and into your journal, you write for 10 minutes and just 
let it flow out. Let the ideas flow, let the worries flow, get it out onto a page. And if every single one of us started each morning with 10, 10, 10, took conscious, intentional control of our day before we let the events of the day hit us, what a different place this would be. Uh, and I think when times are easy, it's not so important that you start your days with this clear, important routine. But when times get tough, when you're struggling, when you're starting to doubt yourself, I think that's when instead of keeping yourself busy looking for the next task, just getting up, moving away, sitting somewhere quietly and reading two or three things that really inspire you, taking some time to think about what you are grateful for and taking a few seconds, few minutes just to get your pen, touch paper and just let it flow. So we'll go back to the chat here. We've got quite a few chat coming through in. Narayan, you're, Narayan, you're welcome for the, uh, the spelling. John Zimmer, great to see you here. It's when times are tough that our true character is revealed. And I think anyone who joined on the, I don't know if it was the last webcast or a podcast uh, recording, but I was reflecting that in 2008, I lived through a personal crisis. I lived through the financial crisis when Lehman Brothers went bankrupt in 2008. Uh, Initially, I didn't think it was going to affect me in Barcelona, far away, but within two, three days, we noticed that that was having an impact on the financial system. And my business in 2008 was private jets. We were operating private jets out of Barcelona, Madrid, and uh, very quickly, uh, once Lehman Brothers fell, the financial system was in trouble, uh, housing prices started to drop, no one was flying private jets. Luca Rossini, hey, Lombardy, hey. Luca, would love to hear how you're doing in Lombardy. I think uh, you're there in the heart of where Italy is really suffering from uh, coronavirus. Luca's one word, essentiality. Uh, I'd love to hear a bit more about what essentiality means. Uh, Ali Shell, please talk to me. Talking to you, Ali Shell. And uh, so on, on the chat here, we have, yeah, private jets. Let me tell you about what 2008 was for me. Uh, so 2008, I remember financial crisis, and I'm thinking we're operating aircraft. Within a week, we saw that our revenues were just dropping, dropping, there was cancellations. And for me, 2008, it felt like this slow motion walk into running out of cash. And uh, for me, 2008 to 2009, February 2009, I had to close my company. I had to lay off all of the employees that we'd spent the previous decade hiring and training and working together to get clear on what our vision was how we wanted to be together as a team and for me you know each pilot that i had to let go of was not just a, a human being walking out the door in order to get those pilots certified for taxi jet we had invested anywhere up to a hundred thousand between salary and training and uh, certification costs and it was really painful for me to, to just watch all that investment just disappear and for most of 2009, I spent the time comparing my new reality to what could have been. For most of 2009, I, I didn't adjust to the new reality. For most of 2009, I wished that this hadn't happened. I was angry at the world for putting this crisis in just when things were starting to work. And for most of 2009, I just asked, why is this happening to me? Why are people doing this to me? This is not fair. And it wasn't until towards the end of 2009, a good friend of mine, David Tomas, said, Connor, you're coming with me and took me to London. And we went and we attended a, 
a two-day seminar called the John D. Martini, Dr. John D. Martini's Breakthrough Experience. And those two days, Dr. John D. Martini, the Breakthrough Experience just really helped me let go of what I thought my life should be like and accept that life as it is, is exactly how it should be. And currently what I have found over this week of speaking to, I've probably spoken to a hundred business leaders in Zoom calls. I've listened in on, on many webinars, ESA Business School, London Business School, just to hear about what, what people are doing to respond to this crisis. And, you know, first helping people accept that things have changed and the holidays that you thought you might have at Easter, the the even just the parties, weddings, funerals, what it must be like for anyone who was planning to get married at this time in Spain, in Italy, in any of the, the countries, I really feel for you. But uh, there's a message that King Solomon shared and King Solomon back in the time when he was the, the wisest ruler of all, he was asked by all of the sultans if there was a phrase that would be true always, a phrase that would be true in good times and in bad, a phrase that no matter what was to happen, it would be true. And the phrase that King Solomon gave was, this too shall pass. And for me, back in 2008, 2009, one of the wisest things that was given to me I remember just a friend of mine told me, Connor, some days you can get through the next year. Think about that, get up and get going. Some days you're gonna be struggling to get through the year. Well, think about the next week. And if you can see the next week, get going. Some days you can only see till the end of the day. Some days you can only see the next hour. Some days you can only get through the next two or three minutes. And there's some days when you're really struggling that all you can do is get through the next moment. And he told me during 2009, uh, Connor, sometimes you just got to reduce the future and, and deal with right now. I was watching the movie Frozen 2 with my four-year-old daughter, Sophia. And it's amazing how many messages there are in Frozen 2 for dealing with a crisis, dealing with that everything we know and every way of being is just about to change and we don't know how it's going to become and, and what we're going to lose. And Olaf, the little snowman, is giving some advice to Princess Elsa or Queen Elsa in Frozen 2. And the advice he gives is, Princess, sometimes when things are all crazy and you just don't know what to do, you've just got to do the next right thing. Uh, and I think part of this, this message is when that five-year view gets hard, when the one-year view gets hard, when the two-week view gets hard. Sometimes you just gotta get yourself here and now and do the next right thing. And hopefully this next right thing for me is, is get on a YouTube live stream and connect to all of you from around the world. Michael, for you miles every day, but carry on walking every day, absolutely. Uh, Armando, pleasure to have you here. Jauma, Pleasure to have you on the call. Uh, Maria Luisa, tudo bem? Hope all is good in Rio de Janeiro. Dominic Brown, great to have you. Uh, so one of the, the stories that I'll sometimes share a, in a conference that I think that it captures uh, one of the core things we need to get together uh, as leaders, as human beings, if we want to have a, have a life that has a positive lasting impact on others. There's a story that uh, Jim Collins shares and his story is what I call the 20 mile march. And I'll tell you the story here. I often share it in my trainings uh, and I think it, it really is an inspirational story for me to remind us how we react in times like this. And the story goes that back in 1908, there was one place that had still not been reached 
We had climbed Everest, we had crossed the deserts, we had reached the ends of the Nile and the Amazon. But there was one point on the Earth's surface that had still not been reached by the explorers of the Age of Exploration, the South Pole. And in 1908, Robert Scott from Great Britain and Roel Amundsen from Norway reached the shores of the Antarctic and they wanted to be the final great explorer that put their name on the map, put their country's flag into the South Pole and would become famous. And Robert Scott was more famous, more experienced. And Robert Scott set off on his journey. There was four of them, each with a sled behind carrying 250 kilos of tents and supplies, everything they needed for their journey, 1,600 miles across to the South Pole. And Robert Scott each morning would open up the door of the tent and he would look out. And there were days when he looked out and he saw a blue sky, bright blue sky, perfect conditions. And Robert Scott and his team, they would march for 50 miles. There were other mornings that Robert Scott opened the tent, looked out, and the sky was gray, uh, there was wind, and they would walk for 20 miles. There were other days when Robert opened the tent, looked out, and there was wind howling in their face, horrific conditions, hailstones falling. It was painful to even just be out of cover. And Robert Scott would close the tent and they would wait for a better day. And Robert Scott and his four, his team, every morning looked at the environment if it was a great day 50 miles if it was a tough day 20 miles and when it was a real crisis they would just stay undercover and wait for another day amundsen roll amundsen every morning they woke up the team got ready ethan great to see you amundsen every morning they would pack the tents onto their sleds and they would begin to walk and they would walk for 20 miles. Every morning they would pack the tents onto the sleds and they would walk for 20 miles. And on the blue sky days, Amundsen and his team would make the 20 miles by lunchtime. And often his team said, we can do more. And Amundsen would say, you've done your 20 miles, rest and repair your skis. On the gray days, it would take them until mid afternoon, 5 p.m but they would make their 20 miles. And on the days when the wind was howling, the hailstones were falling, it was painful. It was a real struggle to be out there. Amundsen and his team would do their walking and it would take them sometimes until the, vast, the last hour of light, but every day they made their 20 miles. And there's a story that, that Amundsen and his group reached a point 45 miles from the South Pole. And they woke up that morning and the sky was blue. There was no wind, perfect conditions. The type of day that Robert would do his 50 miles. And this day they began their journey. And after 20 miles, Roel Amundsen stopped. And the rest of his team begged him. They said, please, we have it here within our reach. After all that we've sacrificed, after all that we've struggled to have it here so close. We don't know where Robert Scott is to lose by one day when it's here within our reach. And Amundsen said, you've done your 20 miles, rest and repair your skis. 20 miles day after day. In this story, Robert Scott is almost more, more famous than Amundsen. Robert Scott lost the race to the South Pole and Robert Scott and his team lost their lives a few days from reaching a food dump towards the end of their journey. Amundsen and his team made the journey 1,600 miles to the South Pole. They turned, made the journey 1,600 miles back, and they said that they could have kept on going at this rhythm of 20 miles day after day. And this story for me captures something very important about the human beings who are really going to stand up in this time when things are tough, when the future is not certain, when there's a lot of doubt and a lot of worry, uh, a lot of critics pointing out what, what uh, politicians are doing wrong, leaders are doing wrong. So when I 
Iniesta get the chance to sit with the emeritus professors, the professors who have been teaching for 50 years. They've seen 50 years of MBAs, 27, 28, 29 years old, graduate and go out into the world and live and live a full life. And I ask the emeritus professors, what is it that you can see in a 27, 28 year old that tells you that that individual is gonna make a lasting positive major difference in their life? And they never tell me the smartest. They never tell me the best looking. They never tell me the one with the most friends. They never tell me the one who's most charismatic. What they tell me is the one that has their habits of just consistently doing important things day after day after day. Clifford A, so good to see you Clifford. I love your exercise your routines videos. Uh, great to have you on here. Uh, so we've got USA, Spain, we've got Vietnam, we've got Iran. What country are you from if you're listening in on this? Where, where are you from in the world? Carlos, so good to see you, Carlos. It was great to catch up with you in Madrid a couple of weeks ago when we could still sit down and have lunch together and have a conversation and look each other in the eyes. With many of you here, I look forward to the moment when we can look back in the eyes of ones and tens and a hundreds. And uh, for me, I think, uh, I've got our chat window disappearing here. For me, uh, I'm wearing, as you might see here, my uh, Barcelona football strip jersey. And uh, three years ago today, I was sat with 98,000 people in the Camp Nou with my friend Timo next to me watching football. And today, Facebook, one of the great things of Facebook is it reminds you where you were three years, seven years, 10 years ago. And Facebook told me three years ago today, I was with 98,000 football fans in the Camp Nou watching Leo Messi and Barca football team play a game. And uh, I was wondering when we'll get back to be able to have conferences, give speeches, get ourselves together again. And uh, when we do, I will be grateful. And I hope that in this time with the notes that I've taken, I will remain grateful uh, for a long time. Because uh, it's often only when things are taken away from me that I, I quite remember how, how much importance they have so carlos great i'll accept that lunch barcelona romania sweden egypt dubai eritrea eritrea uh, fantastic ala madrid forza barca <laughs> simon i hope you're uh, doing some good cooking there certainly over the last few days here myself my wife my daughter we have done a lot of cooking and preparing and chopping together and uh, i have to say spending time a lot of time with my daughter my four-year-old daughter yesterday she said to me daddy why do you travel sometimes why do you go away and i was trying to explain to my four-year-old why i get on an airplane and go and teach for a week in Uruguay or go and teach for a week in New York or in Washington or in Madrid and uh, thinking how do I convey to a four-year-old that uh, although I love being a significant part of her life I have an opportunity to connect with many 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 other people and share some of the lessons that I've learned in my life the lessons that have helped me get through what I lived through in 2008, 2009. And I feel that my mission is not just stay home and do what's easy, but get out and share tools and techniques and inspiration and encouragement for those that need to lead now and in the future. Chicken pot pie, that sounds yummy. Uh, John, go, great to have you on here. I hope your parents there are doing well. Um, Republic of Watford, Steve, I'm not clear whether London or Watford. London is, uh, London, Watford is a very northern place beyond uh, London. So, oh, I've got a, 
friend calling in, don't know where I've hidden my mobile. Oh, let me just, so phone calls mid YouTube live. Um, so Ezequiel Lopez, Argentina, hey, Argentina. I was trying to decide between my uh, Barca top or my Argentina Messi top. And you'll be glad to see on the back here, I don't know if you can read that. This is my Leo Messi number 10 top. Uh, Mozam Ali reminding me of Liverpool 4, Barca 0. But Mozam, I was at the camp now when Barcelona beat Paris Saint-Germain 6-1. And the last three goals were scored almost eight minutes of overtime. And I remember when uh, Sergi Roberto scored the goal in like the 96th minute that put Barcelona into the, the semi-final round of the Champions League, Camp Nou went absolutely crazy. There was a, a, a man, 75, 80, just in front of me, turned. We were hugging everyone. Uh, this was not the times of coronavirus, everyone hugging everyone. And he looked at me and he says, you have no idea I've lived for 75 years. I've never, ever lived a moment like this. This is incredible. And I thought to myself, uh, I was there with my friend Matthew, and we said, if we never go to a football game again, if I never see a football game again, it's okay. I've experienced this moment, which was a miracle. No one believed at the beginning of the week that Barcelona was going to be able to come back. No one believed at the beginning of the game that Barcelona was really going to be able to come back from a 4-0 deficit. As the game started to go 20-30 minutes in, the positive energy was starting to gather. We were starting to think it's possible. And I remember second half began, there was a couple of early goals and we thought we can do it. And probably 15 minutes from the end, Paris Saint-Germain scored a goal. And I just remember the whole crowd, the energy just went. Because when that goal went in, it meant Barca needed to score three more in order to go through. And the crowd lost hope. The crowd just, it felt like we'd been winded. But the team on the field did not stop, did not lose hope. They kept on fighting. They kept on playing. And that gift of watching Sergi Roberto put the ball in the net, 96th minute, I will never forget that moment of being there at the camp now. And I think if, Mohammed, for you, the night that Liverpool beat Barca 4-0 felt as good there at Anfield for the fans, then I am happy for you. Because if 40,000 fans at Anfield felt what two years before myself and 98,000 felt at the Camp Nou, then I'm happy. Um, La Remontada, absolutely. Istanbul, Pakistan. Uh, so Maria saying the quarantine has begun in Brazil. Uh, Joe, Joe Haslam, teaching online. Uh, we have begun and, and uh, ESA, ESA Business School, where I, I teach, has gone completely online all of this week. And uh, MBA classes are being taught through Zoom. And MBA classes, the professor is in their home. Uh, what ESA has done is send to every professor a vinyl stickers, black, that you can put on a wall behind you some pens that you can write on that have got high intensity ink that allows it to be read. And the professors are teaching to a, a screen full of 70 little video windows. One of the rules that we have is everyone must have their video on. And what we're learning this week is some of the protocols of hand raising and interaction. Because in a business school, 60% of the grade in most classes is through participation. It's not through exams, it's not what you know, it's what you're able to contribute in a class when there's 70 participants and a professor and you can put your hand up, make your statement, justify it and defend it and, and help others see your perspective. So for me, switching that level of interaction over to this little screen that we have in front of you, uh, it, what has struck me is actually how powerful 
Zoom and video conferencing and, and Google Teams and all the, the other things really are today. And uh, teaching online, I think you know, you've got to really be prepared. You've got to think about how you're going to use the different uh, writing materials. One of the things that I found quite powerful in our Vistage group meetings and in our EO forum meetings is sharing a Word document with the group and being able to use the Word document as kind of a, a flip chart that everyone can see. And the reason for using a Word document rather than a, than a PowerPoint is it's just very flexible for putting in a table and, and, and writing things some, some things down. So what I found this week is I've got much, much better and in fact, YouTube Live doesn't, doesn't really give me this tool, or maybe I need to explore a bit more how to uh, share a document so that all of us can be working in a document together whilst we're talking live. And uh, with my family, one of the things that I've discovered is my, my daughter, who's 13, has been developing some incredible ways of using technology to run quizzes and little games with my parents in Ireland, my other brother in London, and the rest of my family, they're spread out around the world. Uh, yeah, there's some suggestions, use a Word document, use Quip. Uh, Google Sheets uh, is something I'm testing a bit now because sh Google Sheets, I can create a Google Sheet, uh, set it so that anyone with the link can edit it and then much like in this uh, chat, share that link and then everybody has edit access to the same Google Sheet. And then if there's a couple of teams within the group, you can open up different sheets within the, the Google Sheet document. So I think we're learning very fast this week at ESA in Vistage in Entrepreneurs Organization how to use Zoom Google Docs, Slack to really coordinate and be able to, to share and teach. But I, you know, I, I think the, the ideal way of making the switch from together in a class teaching to online is perhaps not, not a coronavirus. But to be honest, I, I've been very much thinking over the last while that uh, the great losers in the medium to long term here are going to be the owners of offices and the sellers of cars because my experience this week is that the human connection that we've been able to feel in zoom when we've been speaking with our vistage groups with the vistage leadership team with eo members entrepreneurs organization members from around the world with my friends with my family is you can create a lot of human connection without leaving your home and I think there's a lot of paradigms are gonna be broken because they're forced to be broken. Do we really need universities to be physical places that people all go? Do we really need offices where everyone sits so that a manager can see who's there and what we're doing? I think what I'm seeing is we're discovering that you can trust people a lot more than you think. That with the tools we have available, Zoom for me has been incredible this week. I don't know what it has been like for Zoom to scale up their operations for the, the wave of online meetings that just have come across over this week. Uh, you know, Zoom, I don't know what your technology team uh, did to prepare to scale up as they did, but what uh, an impressive ability to just scale your ability to cope with the influx of all the meetings on Zoom this week. But I don't see people returning back to nine to five office work after this in Spain, in the UK, anywhere where there's quarantine. I think we're gonna learn some lessons that you can get a lot done without physically being together. Uh, an office space is gonna turn into a bit of a club where people drop in just to connect, say hello, but most work, most meetings are done elsewhere. I guess the big question then is a question that, that my father uh, raised with myself and my brother yesterday, which is what makes for company culture when you don't have a physical place that everyone goes? When you take away the office, what is a company? And what it struck me is I'm part of entrepreneurs organization. I've been part of entrepreneurs organization for 14 years now. I feel very much 
a part of Entrepreneurs Organization. There is a physical office in Virginia. I have been there. But well before I'd ever set foot in that physical office, I truly felt a part of EO. I truly felt values that were particular to EO. I, I treat a member that I know is part of EO differently than just a stranger. So EO is an organization where I think I can reflect on what has EO done to make it feel that there is a distinct EO culture without having physical offices or physical places to unite us as people. Uh, Vistage, again, is a global organization, but most of the Vistage activity is together in a conference room with your uh, member peers and your chair. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, as we move to April and to May and some of the onboarding processes for new group leaders, uh, we're thinking whether we run them virtually. And I'm wondering, can we share the culture of Vistage to new group leaders from a home, from a Zoom call, without physically being together and seeing the, the global reach of Vistage? And I don't have answers, but I've been thinking a lot this week about what is a company when you take away the physical space of the office, when you take away face-to-face -face meetings? Uh, you know, this week I've realized I can do a lot more via Zoom from my home than I ever thought I could. Uh, and hopefully it'll push me to really make the face-to-face -face meetings that I have in future more rare but more valuable. Uh, and shift everything that is transactional, everything that the other is not willing to go deep and deal with important stuff, I'm gonna shift it to a Zoom call or YouTube live. And if I'm in a room after this and the person I'm speaking to is sharing what I would call weather, traffic and politics, the Vistage expression that if you're here to talk weather, traffic and politics, this is not the room, uh, I think my willingness to listen to boring conversation when I've made the effort to physically be face to face with someone is going to drop off a cliff. When I am with you in future, Carlos, if we have that lunch in a couple of weeks in Madrid, uh, we're going to talk about important stuff, not weather, traffic and politics. Uh, let's get back to our chat here. Um, so Maria Luisa, very welcome. Uh, Nadine Maisel, a future beyond mobility. Uh, Zainar, thank you, that's very kind. Dominic, uh, yeah, I think this is gonna accelerate a shift that was already happening to online. And, you know, Uber and Tesla and automatic cars, I wonder how many significant changes in our behavior are gonna happen through this that just radically change what the future is and you know Greta Thunberg and all of the years of campaigning coronavirus in two three weeks has reduced our greenhouse gas emissions has reduced our use of airline travel has uh, you know really made us become aware of what's important what's unimportant uh, Luca essentiality is starting to see what is important and letting go of uh, sorry letting go less important things of what we do. Sobriety lets me go a longer way, a time for long-term choices. And I love that idea, Luca. And I know, you know, myself and Luca have had some conversations. Like Luca shared a guest post on my blog a few years ago about some lessons he learned a few years back from, you know, a, a tough thing in the family, but it pushed him to get clear on what's essential, what's important, and let go of the crap. Um, Emran, working from home for the last couple of weeks, yeah. And it's amazing that uh, once you you start, you started, I, I realized, what am I missing? How do I make sure in future that my face-to-face -face meetings are significantly better than something I could have done from the, the comfort of my own home. Nadine, yeah. Javier, a lot of opportunities in front of us. Uh, and I guess it's important to, to remind us that uh, 
the Chinese character for, for opportunity is crisis plus possibility. Uh, we've certainly got the crisis. Whether we see our homes as prisons or see them as time to create new projects for ourselves, to strip out all the crap that used to fill our lives, to focus on the people and the projects that really matter. It's up to us, it's up to our decision. I can see this as a prison or I can see this as an opportunity. Jamie, uh, yep, yeah. so Jamie, your company decided to go remote in 09, never look back. Uh, and I guess learning to trust people virtually, and maybe that's something that I have a question for myself. Uh, Vistage, EO, uh, the way I teach in ESA Business School, in EM in Uruguay, in Global Leadership Academy in, in Washington, the way I teach is very much about creating within the room where I'm physically present a set of common rules about holding each other accountable, taking risks, learning from our actions, supporting others, encouraging others. And, you know, I think with, with our EO forum, I had my EO forum meeting this week and like, what a great conversation, great group of human beings really connecting. Uh, but I wonder how is it going to be to bring a new member into an existing group when it's virtual? How is it going to be to create a new trusting relationship when it's virtual? Uh, with my brother yesterday, we were talking that, that sometimes when someone travels to meet you, it's a demonstration of how important it is for you. And how do we in the online medium give that same signal? That if I was willing to travel to London just to meet you, there's an important message being shared in the fact that I was willing to give two days of my life for half an hour with you. And sometimes I use this signal with people that I travel just to spend time with them. Uh, you know, having a chat with my parents here in Zoom, it doesn't send that same message. I can say the same words, but it doesn't send the same message of you are so important to me that I'm willing to physically give, get myself there and spend my time with you. So ah, I've got some good questions coming in. Nadine, can you or anyone, so anyone here, recommend any tool for facilitating very physical, interactive and hands-on workshops online? So Nadine, what I've been trying out this week, one is in Zoom sharing a Word document and using it as a kind of common flip chart. The second thing that I've had a bit less uh, experience with, but uh, we've tried out a little bit is having a shared Google document. And in, in our case, what we've been using is Google Sheets, uh, go and edit the settings so anyone with the link can edit and you take that link and share it with everybody. So if I did that right now, and maybe the next time we get onto YouTube Live, uh, I could get a link and share it to everyone. And by clicking on that link, everyone has edit access to the same sheet. Uh, and I think Nadine, that possibility uh, opens up some things that I don't think we've even explored just like we're going to find ways of using technology that was never predicted or expected or planned and I think that's very often the way with technology that what the intent of the designers of a technology is and how human beings discover ways of using it end up being quite different so I, I'm definitely going to keep exploring this idea of being able to speak to each other but also having a document that is you know, potentially, you, I don't know what the concurrent number of users that you could have together on a Google document would be, but uh, maybe if someone from Google can tell us. Uh, but yeah, open question to anyone there for Nadine. Have you been discovering tools that have really allowed for highly interactive group processes, but moved online? JR, uh, great to see you on here. Uh, JR, I'm assuming, yeah, is from Dallas wearing the giant Stetson. Uh, Aftab, uh, great question. How to engage kids to learn and to have fun at home? And, uh, you know, here I, I have a 13 year old and I have a four year old. 
my 13-year-old is diligent and wonderful and engaged and just has the type of intelligence that she she likes the projects and the homeworks in general that she has in school. Uh, we live in Spain. Her English is excellent, so she doesn't have to work for it. Uh, my four-year-old, she sees us reading a lot. She sees us doing homework. My wife at the moment is learning French. And I think Aftab, one of the most important things we can do for our children is to show them that we are doing the same ourselves. And I had a revelation when my elder daughter was young. I did all my homework in the office so that I had time to be with her when I was at home. What did that mean? It meant that I worked very hard in the office and then I would arrive home. And when I was telling my daughter when she was five or six that she needed to sit down for 20 minutes and do her homework, I would be just sitting on the sofa because I'd done my homework. In my mind, I was, I'd done my homework. But what my daughter saw of me was man sitting on sofa, never doing work, never doing homework. And I decided I wanted my daughter to see me doing homework. Uh, and first I signed up for some Coursera courses, online university courses. And I used to do one Coursera course each year and I would do it sitting next to my daughter. So when she was doing her homework, her dad was sat next to her doing his homework. Uh, and I think our actions are so much more powerful than our words. If your children see you learning, if your children see you interested in improving your skills, learning things you don't know, reading about things, sharing what you're learning, asking them their opinion on what you're learning, that's far more powerful than rules or regulations or principles. Uh, our example is the most powerful thing that we have. So what do your children see you doing? If they see you making dinner and watching TV, then they think that's what you believe is important. If they see you sitting next to them, and as they study French, you're studying French or a language or how to program a computer language you don't know yet, or philosophy, I think that's a much more powerful uh, education to our kids. They learn from what we do, not what we say. I remember my, my daughter, you know, very early on, uh, when she was three or four, she used to take the television remote control and hold it to the side of her face and talk. I never told her to pretend to use it like a mobile phone, but she'd clearly seen me walking around the house so often with an object next to my face that the first thing she thought to do of any object about this, uh, this size is to hold it to her face and walk around talking on it. So what I really try and do here at home is see myself from outside, see myself the way my daughters see me. How am I spending time as far as my daughters see me? But after a wonderful question, the, the other thing I, I have changed as a teacher, uh, and probably this is more consciously with MBA, executive MBA students than with my daughters is, Years ago, 15, 16 years ago, I thought it was my role to share tools and information. And uh, yeah, this guy here, if you can see, Aristotle. I channel Aristotle. And, and years ago, my way of teaching was PowerPoint slides full of information, full of structures, full of tools, and explain them to the class day after day after day. Uh, after 2008, 2009, when my business went bankrupt, I thought, I've been through school, I've been through university, I've been through an MBA, I've been through good education. How am I not prepared for this? How am I totally out of my depth as a human being and as a leader facing uncertainty and crisis and challenge? And I thought as a teacher, it's not my job to give people tools. My job is two things as a teacher. And I think these are two things that as a parent are important. If as a teacher, I can convey to students two things. One, self-belief. Second, competence. Self-belief, you can do it. If I can convey to everyone in my classroom, so whether they're online or offline, you can do this. And sometimes that means breaking a complex thing down into little steps 
so that everyone gets the experience in class of doing some little thing and thinking, ah, I was able to do that. So I want to get everyone to have this feeling of, I'm competent. If I put some more time, maybe I'll get a little bit better. They need a glimpse that with a little bit of effort, they're actually able to do it better. The second is self, uh, self-belief. Um, that it's important to become good at this. So if I can convey that you can do it and it's gonna make a difference to you to do it, then you're gonna find the tools, watch the videos, go to Wikipedia, go to Google, go to YouTube, read the books. But if you don't believe that it's possible for you and you don't believe it'll make a difference in your life, you're never gonna learn. My 13-year-old daughter, if she wants to know where Kazakhstan is, she doesn't say, Daddy, she says Alexa or she takes the iPad and has a look. Uh, so teachers and parents, I think our job is not to help them find the tools or find the information. Our job is to help, it, help them discover why it's important to them. Help them discover that they are more capable than they ever thought, thought they were. were. And, and that, that with a little, little bit of effort, they, they can make great improvement. improvement. Uh, this last few days we've been... Uh, setting up our dinner table as a ping pong table. I'll be teaching my four-year-old how to play ping pong. And initially, there was a lot of excitement uh, getting this set up. Said, wow, this is just like in, in uh, Auntie Dee's house. Uh, but day one, she wasn't instantly a pro Olympic ping pong player. She was a bit frustrated. And after a few minutes, day one, she was feeling like she can't play she's no good and i said no no you have to practice to get good you have to practice to get good with practice you'll get good and day two i said you want to play ping pong no no i'm not good and i had to stop and really think about what the experience of ping pong was for her a lot of excitement and her initial excitement very quickly was disappointment and she realized she had no skill and so day two, there was no ping pong. She didn't like it, wanted to play. It doesn't feel good to play something you're no good at. So day three, we set it up smaller and I was just throwing the ball and saying, just say bounce when it bounces. Bounce, hit. Just say bounce when it hits. And simplifying down to the stage. Today we were playing ping pong again. And you can see she understands that she's not a pro yet. There's a journey, but day by day, those little things are improving. And it's fun. So she's starting to get those two things. One, see that with little bits of practice, she's getting better and better and more capable. And wow, this is fun. When you get a rally going, it's really enjoyable. And I think it's not just ping pong that's like that. It's French, it's Spanish, it's learning English, it's learning maths. If you do a math sum and you are stuck and you can't and you put it away and that's the feeling you have that I can't do it, you will never do maths again. So I think it's so important to find a way of allowing our children, our friends, everyone around us to, to see that with a little bit of effort they are competent and that if they put this effort in, in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, the impact on their life, the, the value it's going to bring into their life is going to be so much more. So we're coming up to my last minute here. It's been wonderful to, to have you uh, on here. Uh, I think we might have lost, lost sound there. So uh, we're going to have to... Uh, Cut off now, my friend Florian Mweck, his live stream begins in 60 seconds. So if you've enjoyed this conversation here with me, uh, I would say switch over to uh, Florian Mweck. Uh, I will see if I can dig out the link and then we can close up this podcast and I believe We've had some sound problems in the last while, so let me find the link and see if I can share a link to the Florian Mweck live screen. And I wonder, do you crash YouTube if you run a live stream while you're having a live stream? So let me share you the link and we'll say goodbye. And where's my chat gone? Right. There's the link to the Florian Mweck 
podcast to uh, live stream. I'm going to switch now over to Florian Wex live stream. I hope to see some of you over there. Uh, we'll be checking out what happened to the sound there in the last few minutes. Thanks to those in the chat just letting me know that the sound just happened off. Ethan, have a great one. Maria Luisa, Steve McNulty, Christian, KVN. Uh, right, over to Florian's. Have a great one. Ending stream. Ending stream.